one of my favorite intro songs. <laughs> I love this one. How can you be a bad dude when you listen to that? It's like <laughs> every time I mix it, I'm like, yes. It just it gets me jamming, man. Okay, so this week we're gonna be talking about um a couple things. First of all, cash buyers back again, back again, you know, and it's not like, I don't know if it's a good thing or not. We did a poll and we're going to be going back to that poll. Eddie, remember that. Go back to that poll to find out if, uh, if being a cash buyer is necessarily a good thing or bad thing and what your opinion is about that. Second thing we're going to be talking about is, um, well, Louisiana is in the same boat as California and Florida now. And um, I think we're going to get in a little deeper about this, about the insurance rates. Insurance rates, not, um, you know, like Flor like many places around Florida, a lot of insurance companies have pulled out. Then it was announced that California has had many uh, insurance companies out and here in Louisiana. And it happened to Eddie and I on one of our rental properties. So we're going to talk about the insurance rates. I, I have my brain kind of thinking, and once we get into it, I, I want to get your opinion about this too, because if insurance rates are so high that people are willing to move, could that help with um, at least allowing for more homes to be uh, on the market? But the problem is, is like how many people can insure uh, afford that insurance rate? So um, does that even open the door for more uh, institutional investors to buy up housing because the average person can't purchase it. You know, that's how my brain's thinking. We'll, we'll get into that more. We're supposed to have Jason Walter here. Um, <laughs> he's on his way. Uh, let me, let me check. Cause he's, uh, yeah, he's having technical issues, but he's going to be coming on here. If you don't know who Jason Walter is, he is the, uh, the go-to guy for all the news that comes out in the real estate market. I mean, he is, he is pumping out some content. So anytime something exciting happens in the news, uh, when it comes to the real estate world, you go over to Jason to see what he has to say and what the articles are saying. So I want to welcome everybody for coming in. I have some interesting news for you too, before, while we wait for Jason to come up here. I uh, was invited. Um, I, actually, I was supposed to be gone on Friday, but they had breaking news because um, somebody got in trouble with some papers and documents. So they, they scooted me off to the side. But News Nation is going to be having me on their, um, their live stream to talk about affordable housing options and get my opinion about them. So I'm very excited about that. It should... It was supposed to be on at 2.45 on, on Friday. So I'm assuming that tomorrow will be the same time. I haven't gotten the specifics on what the, the time is tomorrow, but I will be on like real television. Like they really want to see me. Can you believe that? <laughs> I can't believe that. <laughs> oh, look, look who's made it. Yay, Jason, Jason Walter. Yay! Everybody give him a round of applause. Round of applause. We're in the presence of a celebrity. <laughs> no way. I am so sorry. That's okay. That's okay. I, I got <laughs> nervous though. I get nervous because, you know, I, I, I asked Jason to come on here all the time, all the time. And he, and he's, he has a very busy schedule and he has like, yeah. don't you have like a new baby too? We have a one-year-old and a, uh, almost a three-year-old. And so, yeah. uh, yeah, we just came back from a four-year-old, uh, parties rager. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I forgot my AirPods. Anyways, hope you can hear me. Okay, is the audio okay? Yeah, we. You sound delicious. You sound okay. just fine. You sound it's so good great. to see you. I'm sorry for the being late, and thank you so much for having me onto your channel, Christina. It's good to see you. 
they say it's fashionable to be late. So <laughs> I hate being late, man. <laughs> I have ADHD and that is the one thing that I'm opposite of is the fact that I can't stomach being late more than anything. But yeah, I hear you. <laughs> Try to put so, babies to bed right before. Yeah. Hey, Jeremy. Apparently Jeremy Knight was just on your channel. He was. I had him on my channel a couple of weeks ago, maybe a week ago, talking about the Austin um, housing market. Well, how about that? See, we got all yeah. we got all the celebrities in here. <laughs> we got all the celebrities in here. <laughs> hey, Debbie. Uh, okay, so um, two things. One, I don't. You are you're in California, right? I'm in Sacramento, California. Yep. So we're, we're going to be talking about the insurance problem that's going on oh, in man. California. Yeah. And then we're going to be talking about the cash buyers because I want to get your perspective of what's going on in California and if you're seeing the same thing. So I did send you that. I didn't send you the insurance article, but you'll get the idea. It's okay. I like <laughs> so to be unprepared and I didn't look at the, I didn't look at the article. So I think it'd be fun to just kind of like, you know, jump right in. So happy to discuss anything about the housing market says to me, this is fun stuff. I like talking about the housing market. <laughs> Obviously, obviously. Know. Yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. I said. If anybody needs to know what the what's going on right at the moment, go to Jason's channel. He's he's a newscaster. He's got the oh, he's man. got the news of the housing market down. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's get into the first article, which is about cash buyers. Cash buyers are back again. And not everybody's happy about it. Eddie's gonna pull it up on the screen as soon as he can if you can find the tab. <laughs> I don't know who who would who would be happy to see more cash buyers? I don't, I don't know anyone who would see be happy about that. Yep. Look, all cash buyers are becoming disruptive to the housing market like they weren't like they weren't ever before, apparently. Yeah. All right, let's scroll on down, my friend Eduardo. I would greatly appreciate it. Um during the pandemic, the pandemic housing boom, home buyers begrudgingly accepted that they'd face lots of competition, especially from woeing sellers in, with suitcases of cash. Many facets of the housing market have changed since then. As for cash buyers who paid in full without taking out a mortgage, the power has only increased. Bum, bum, bum. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> In April, cash buyers commanded the biggest share of shrinking home sales market in nearly a decade. As the spring selling season is underway, people who needed to financing were often foiled by rising interest rates. Redport, Redfin reported last week cash buyers represented 33.4% cash buyers of transactions no. in April far above hovering the 25% for more than the peak of the last decade. The data is uh, the latest sign that cash buyers are uh, clashing with borrowers more than ever. The problem has gotten worse because hmm. the drop of available homes is exceeding the slowdown in demand, according to Redfin. Uh, on Thursday, Redfin reported that 25% of the drop in new listings has pushed down the number of total number of homes on the market to by 5%. That's a lot over a year. The lowest levels for early June since it began collecting data in 2015. Yep. So if you take those two recipes, which is all cash buyers that are pretty much inching into dominating the housing market, home prices that haven't come down because and interest rates that have come up what and we don't have a supply of homes what do you think is going to happen with the housing market in your expert opinion jason <laughs> man if, if i um was i always tell people i am not a real estate market fortune teller but okay. do you if, have a crystal ball 
I do not. If I, I should get one and like purposely crack it and and like tape it together with duct tape. That one here. Because yeah. I'm like, let um, me pull up my crystal ball prediction. <laughs> yeah. So um, my take is that if if we were to see you know seven percent rates for the rest of the year, and also historically low inventory. I always say historically because we have more houses for sale. It's a painless source. But if you look at um, uh, Black Knight. Uh, Realtor.com, as well as um, um, uh, uh, what's it, Research.com, we have around like 20 to 30% more homes for sale nationwide compared to last year, as well as the year, year before. But when looking at levels back at the same time frame in 2019, we have around like 50 to 55% fewer homes for sale. Um, I just made a video um, about Black Knight's latest report. From 2005-ish to around 2011, we had around 2 to 2.5 million homes for sale. Now we have less than, I think it's less than 700,000 in the U.S. So anyways, long story short, if we still see this historically low inventory, if rates still remain elevated, I would imagine that the number of home sales are going to go down like they do every single year, but probably more pronounced this year than in years past. Um, and then uh, hard to say what's going to happen with the prices, but the rest of the year during a normal year, you'd see a decrease in prices, but not probably like we saw last year, because last year we started the year at 3.3% rates. It skyrocketed to over 7% by the time we hit October. And that just caused the shock of the housing market and um, people got priced out. But now we have high rates, but they're not like skyrocketing. There's kind of like staying like high. So anyways, I think that the market's going to go down. They're over seven now, aren't they? Pardon me? They're over seven right now, aren't they? Uh, it was like 6.9, according to the Mortgage News Daily on Friday. I mean, like, you know, around okay. 7%, right? Depending on the source you look at. Mm -hmm. That's for people with great credit, of course, too, right? So anyways, if everything stays status quo, I imagine we're going to see like a normal downturn like we do each and every year in the second half, but we're not going to see like a housing market crash because we have a lack of house for sale. Like, That's my long-winded answer for you, Christina. <laughs> the long-winded answer, but the the one of the things I, I want to like point out is that the supply is so so bad. <laughs> this yeah. and everybody every time you see a headline, and this is why people are like, "Oh, you we have a twenty-five percent more inventory than we did a year ago." I'm like, that doesn't mean anything. Look at those numbers in comparison to 2019, and we're nowhere near it. We don't yeah, have totally. enough houses. We don't have enough houses and forget it. And that's the other thing too. We just don't have enough affordable homes for sale. Those like, you know, like they just aren't building those smaller homes for the first time home buyer. So that's who I'm, I'm always like very concerned about because that's the most of the pent up demand is first time home buyers. So if they're yeah. not building smaller homes that they can afford, what's going to happen? You know, like I think they're purposely, and this is my tinfoil hat moment. I think they're purposely turning them into renters. I think that's what they're wanting to do. Oh, here it is. I got to find my tinfoil hat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a big challenge to say yeah, the least. Keep, keep the, um, keep the uh, uh, prices for building homes extremely high. Give them a bunch of red tape for uh, development of homes. And that in turn makes homes more expensive. People can't afford them. Then they turn into renters. They have no choice. So that's that, that's what I say. The you know the powers that be that sit behind the table, you know, and smoking their big cigars. I think that was the big design. So that's my tinfoil hat moment. <laughs> I know it's sad. I mean, we need a more affordable housing to say the least. And there's some people have been priced out when they have rates mm -hmm. at three percent for two years. Now it's at seven percent around that, and the prices have gone up so much, so up like thirty eight percent compared to two thousand and twenty. So. 
yeah, it's a sad state of affairs for someone who is looking to buy a house, especially the past couple of years. Yeah. And then the, the like the uh, other headlines are like, oh, look at, you know, these these housing markets have dropped X amount. I'm like, that's like all on the West Coast. It's a very small portion of the United States. The rest of the United States are still facing very high uh, home prices. And like some areas, they're still doing this bidding war thing. Do you have bidding wars in your area at all? Like, does that happen? Or is it only yeah. for the shorter, the, the, like less expensive homes? Yeah. Um, so our, I, I did like a, I looked at all of our pending home sales. I'm in Sacramento. Um, so I looked at Sacramento County, which is a area you have to drive like a half an hour west east and like maybe about 45 minutes north south. So it's a big area, a million people. Mm -hmm. And look at all the pending home sales from, I think it was, I did this like a month ago. And on average, all price ranges, you know, two offers received per property. Some had like, you know, 68, you know, over 20, over 15, which is crazy, but they just underpriced them. Um, so we have like a competitive market, but that's just because we have this uh, very low supply. And it's not nearly as crazy it was uh, this time last year because, um, you know, the spring months last year in Sacramento, we had about six offers per property. Now it's, uh, now it's two approximately. So we have bidding wars, but not nearly as crazy as the past several years. Right. Going back about, to, go ahead. Go ahead. About area. Um, well, we, we, we're in a small town, so, um, we're at least seeing a little bit more homes that are a little bit more affordable, available, but you got to remember, you're going to put a lot of like blood, sweat and tears to <laughs> make them up to uh, snuff. The other problem that we have here in South Louisiana is that you could find a home that you would say, oh my gosh, this is affordable. But then when you get the rate for the, um, flood insurance, uh. it's, so high that people that would be in that like oh wow this is a perfect house it's wonderful except for the insurance is like eight thousand dollars a year and when you're on that $8, first dollars a year yeah wow okay yeah yeah and some of the like some areas we have we're in a flood zone we flood quite a bit <laughs> and so they i mean at some point uh, a matter of fact the flood insurance will say to a, a house that's flooded x amount of times you can no longer rebuild you just got to, you know, like we're not rebuilding it. You're going to have to take the check wow. and go somewhere else. They'll do that. But um, that's that's my biggest concern. But have you ever seen these products that were coming out during the um, during the big housing boom that, uh, you know, because they were getting beat out by cash buyers. They, like everybody that had a loan were getting beat out by cash buyers. So this company had started in Seattle and I believe there was one in, in uh, California that would basically run them through this whole underwriting process and say, go ahead and make your offer cash. We'll, we'll do it cash. And then after it closes, we'll close it again, almost like a new construction loan. We'll close it again under mm. our, uh, our umbrella of, um, in, you know, like, yeah. Do, do you have, have you seen anything like that? I have not seen that. No, I have not seen it at all. Um, um, I think like last year, just talking about like competitive, competitiveness of the market, you know, all cash buyers were getting beat out by people who still had loans, but they are waiving all the contingencies, uh, mm -hmm. which is just wild, especially for the inspections. Because in my area, um, it's not super common to give all the disclosures and have the seller do their ins do the inspections. Uh, mm -hmm. prior to listing the homes for sale. So people are writing basically these blind offers, you know, for, I was, I've seen it for like a million to like $1.2 million houses. It's just crazy where you get, you get no disclosures, no information about the property other than like, you know, verbal questions if you want to ask the listing agent. And then also 
no actual third-party inspections whatsoever, which is way different than the Bay Area where the seller does all the, gets all the inspection reports and disclosures ahead of time and gives that to the buyer so they can make a more informed decision about what kind of offer they want to write. And then in that area, it's common for people, right? No non-contingent offers, but yeah, it was crazy. Like you're, I know I'm kind of going off on a tangent, but just mayhem but, one year ago. So, so when you go and list a house in your area, you don't have to have the property disclosure that's filled out by the seller before you even list the house. No, you don't. It's uh, in, in the California. <laughs> yeah. And it's different. So that the, we have the California association of realtors. They have a, the um, standard forms everyone uses for um, one to four units. Uh -huh. And in that, um, this, the buyer can change it, but in general, the seller has to provide all those disclosures within seven days of accepting the offer. That's pretty common. Now, having said that there's some, some properties in which they, uh, provide a link and you can get that before writing an offer, but that's not, that's becoming more common. I'm seeing that, but not as common. So yeah, I mean, here in Louisiana, before before you, you even ago, put it up on offers. Pardon here in Louisiana, before you even put it on the market, the proper disclosure has to be in the listing. It's like, I think that's really smart. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, you can't even like, it won't allow you to put it like you can't hit the live button until oh, that's wow. attached. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Just like a couple of years ago, I would say it's been more, a little bit more common to see those like a link and then people can look at all those disclosures. But you know, two years before that, it was like you write an offer. I always ask the question, are you aware of any you know, major issues with the, with the house or the property. And so then I can tell that to my clients, but then we're not giving any disclosures whatsoever. It's not a requirement. So it's kind of backwards in my opinion. I think I like your way better where people want to know like what issues are with the property. What kind what kind of history does the house have? Did it have like foundation issues or like a insurance claim for five years ago, whatever it was. And then also provide the inspection reports as well, because that just creates issues down the road. If they, see something on the disclosures they're not comfortable with, they get all their inspections done and find tons of dry rot and termites or whatever, then a lot of time buyers just would back out if they're not willing to, the seller's not willing to negotiate. So yeah, it creates in, issues. Yeah, in Louisiana, the first thing they do is they flip through the page to find out if it flooded before. <laughs> I told oh, you wow. okay. <laughs> Mary has a question and says, I own a parcel overlooking the marsh in uh, Charlotte, Charlotte, North Carolina. I want to build a, a Quinset Quin hut. Quinset? Um, yeah. Quinset. I've never heard this. Quinset home. Nonetheless, I keep uh, getting lowball offers, letters from wholesalers, predators. What's your take? I've never heard of that specific style of home. Um, I, you know, and this happens in any kind of alternative housing um, sector. It's just not overlooked like traditional home building. So whenever you're doing like prefabs or, you know, any kind of like specific modular home company, sometimes they give you a price and it is low to get you in the door. So that way you'll end up adding all this other stuff on there. Um, I, matter of fact, I just did a video on uh, Wednesday. I put it out and it was a Home Depot house and it looks fantastic. But then you find out it's just the frame of the house. They advertise it as this house where it has the spiral staircase and this oh, upper geez. level with a deck and the whole nine yards. Oh, this kind of house. Oh. Yeah. Oh, those are neat. You know what? Those are really good for hurricanes too because the wind goes over them. We huh. have them here in Louisiana. The, that's a that's a real, uh, that's an actual style of home. Um, 
I wouldn't even know how to find that specific type of builder. Uh, the only thing I could think of to tell you to do if you're looking for a builder for that is to go on to Facebook and find a group that's talking about those specific types of homes. And sure enough, they're going to have a network of people that either fixes them or builds them. That would be my best suggestion. That is just not a very common way to build homes. But whenever you're dealing with any company outside that you're putting it in your backyard or whatever, just always uh, do your due diligence a triple fold. And like I said, get into that group and say, hey, has anybody heard of this company? Is it legitimate? You yeah. know? Yeah, because she also mentions she wanted to sell too, because I think that it sounded like she wanted to sell her property and then maybe build somewhere else, maybe. So, uh, mm -hmm. if that's the case, I would say so you get the most eyeballs when you list it with an agent who puts it on the multiple listing service. So, rather than trying to sell, rather than trying to sell it off market to an investor or wholesaler, you might get a better um, offer potentially. Uh, I, the, the wholesalers are the bane of my existence. <laughs> they they never really do anything good for the for the buyer. Oh, where'd he go? Did he? Oh, you <laughs> had to get your cup. I have a okay. cold, like so I've been trying to like fight this thing. I don't want to like be coughing in my microphone and scaring everyone away. Mary has Mary has another question. It says I finished the garage on the house and bought in 2014. It had three bedrooms, including two bed, uh, two tiny bedrooms. I knocked out the wall, expanding the bedroom, but finished the garage. wasn't uh, counted in the appraisal. Um, I I know that. Okay, so every area is going to have a different rule when it comes to appraisals. When you add anything on, so here in the state of Louisiana, it has to be under the specific roof. If you have a detached garage, that's considered a different dwelling. But if it's connected and is sharing the same uh, AC system as the rest of the house and the same plumbing system, then it's considered part of the square footage. Um, our bonus room here in the state of Louisiana is not considered the same. Uh, value. Uh, it's like nearly a half the value as it would be for the rest of the house, the living square footage, because they're considering it bonus area, not living square footage. So uh, you're just going to have to get with an appraiser to see why that square footage wasn't valued the same as the rest of the home. Is that true in your area, Jason? Yeah, I was... Um... It's, it depends. Like, uh, what I do is like, if there's like an addition, like in converted garage or something in which the owner did not pull permits for. So therefore like the tax assessor office doesn't, isn't aware of it. Correct. I don't really count that as like, you can't just like take the price per square foot and then multiply the square footage of the garage mm -hmm. and say, here's how much the house is worth. And so mm -hmm. there might be a value add on that, but not the same if it's just part of the house that's actually permitted. And uh, I actually just ran this issue uh, with a client because there was this house that was listed for sale for, uh, you know, it's crazy amount, but the, the, the square footage was 2,960 square feet. But in my area, if there's not an asterisk next to the square footage, year built, mm -hmm. uh, number of bedrooms and bathrooms, um, then the um, seller's agent, the listing agent manually adjusted it. And so when you don't see that asterisk, but you can't see on Redfin or whatever, uh, mm -hmm. but I can see it on my end then you go to the source and on the, on the, for this house, the source was a graphic designer. That's what the, uh, that's where they got the square footage from. And so just beyond ridiculous. And the, the agent that was working with my uh, clients here didn't even catch that. So, um, long story short, if you're looking to buy a house that has additions, that's not permitted, in my opinion, it's really, you should go to only counting the, um, square footage is actually permitted. I have another question for you. So in California, when you list a property, you're not required to measure the property yourself? No, you're not. That's why it was such a joke. It's the first time I've seen, 
because you you basically enter in the the um, street address, the parcel number, whatever, and then it just pulls the tax record. So it pulls the um, location, number of bedrooms and bathrooms, year it's built, the square footage of the lot, as well as the square footage of the home, right? Mm -hmm. But if the seller goes, oh, like my square footage, like house is really three thousand square feet. It's not, you know, twenty four hundred like the tax records show. Can we adjust that? Yeah, sure, no problem. Mm -hmm. So then you just go to those manual adjustment and then you adjust it, but you have, to, you have to list your source. In this case, it was literally a graphic designer was the the source of the square footage of the home for a million dollar house is freaking beyond ridiculous. We are required to measure the house. You can't just list wow. the house and go back to the, well, what a lot of agents were doing was whatever it was listed at the last time, they just kind of cloned the listing and then put that as the new square footage. But builders do this thing where they just like, this is the sunset plan. So they just put the sunset plan in every, uh, you know, listing, mm -hmm. but it, it doesn't measure out the same. Sometimes, you know, the square footage is off. Yeah. So um, somebody got in Same. trouble for that. From here on out, we have to measure it. So I have a laser measure that go. I go in the house. Oh, wow. Like you just set it down and it points to the wall and points to the back and measures the room. And and then I have to show it. I have to actually show the uh, the, the little map that I made of the house when I measured it. Wow. And how I came up with that cost. Who would yeah. have thought you have way more disclosures in Louisiana than California? I know. Right? That is killing yeah. me. You know, that's, yeah, that's really wild. funny. <laughs> yeah, never. But, I've never measured a helmet in my entire life. <laughs> I have to every single time. I have one for the outside oh. too. So there's a, like a tape measure that hooks onto the side of the wall, and then I measure the wall all the way around wow. too. Yep. I think it's a good thing because that could like with this issue I was talking about with the square footage. I was telling the person, the people who are looking to buy the house, and they had no idea. And mm -hmm. if you're not a real estate agent, there's no way you're really going to see because on all the websites, Rolls.com, Redfin, whatever, they're not going to show like what the tax records show, they're going to show what the listing says. And so someone could write an offer in there. I have no idea if they didn't read the disclosures or didn't have an agent who was detail oriented. It's just, yeah. The only big, way big you can issue. get around that if you don't want to measure the house is if you ask the sellers if they have their previous, um, their previous appraisal done on their home and it will have that map in there that's done by uh, an appraiser. And then you can put in the MLS, here's the map. And it was done by an appraisal company. <laughs> then nice. you get around it. I always love when yeah. they have that. I'm like, yes. Lexical Gap says a uh, question. My friends are getting married. Congratulations. And are trying to find their first home. The problem they're running into is that anything below 300 is not in great shape not just cosmetic, any advice for them? Do you have any advice for them, Jason, Jason Walter? Is <laughs> <laughs> um, not in great shape. I mean, I've yeah. bought, the only two houses I bought were not in great shape, but I wanted to remodel them and make them our own. So I, mm -hmm. it just depends on what their goals are. If like they're handy or if they have funds to do a remodel and they want to make it to their own, then hey, go for it. But just make sure you get your own, your, your own expect, your own own inspections, I was trying to say, uh, because a home not in great shape probably has issues that are beyond just cosmetic potentially. What do you well, think? I would, when you, if you, they find a house they like, I would make sure the roof is good. The AC is good. The plumbing's good. And the hot water heater is good. If all the rest, if all of those things are good, the rest of it is just things they can work on over time. The first house my husband and I ever moved into 
It smelled like cigarettes. It was horrible. It hadn't been painted in years. The The roof was kind of bad. We had to replace that, but that it was worth it to us because we were the ugliest, most disgusting house in the entire neighborhood. We happened to be the smallest too. And then we got the, like, it was like a shiny new penny when we fixed it all up, you know? Nice. Um, that's what you want to do. Like you really do want to buy the most ugly house in the neighborhood. Right, so right. Can, yeah. And then, that will pay off that blood sweat equity will, will pay off you're you know you're paying less to put time into it but you just start with one room at a time we started with just the living the um master bedroom you know that's all we did was the master bedroom and then we then we moved into the kitchen and then we did every room after that you know just it takes time but i would i that's what i would do just find a, a deal and make sure those major construction issues like the you know, make sure that that foundation is, is in good shape, you know, the rest no, of it. I, I totally agree. The big, the big expensive mm -hmm. items, just like you said, foundation, HVAC and roofers. Eddie's going to show the poll. Okay. Do you think all cash buyers are ruining the housing market? 27% said yes. 24% said no. And then only investor wow. cash buyers 33 percent and 16 percent said they're not sure that's out of 220 votes on the mm -hmm. live stream so yeah well i mean what do you think about the cash uh, investor buyers do you think they're the ones that are uh tipping the scales on some of these housing markets i would say in general no i mean it probably depends on the area right that, that because that three percent could be higher in other areas i was trying mm -hmm. i didn't look at this article before the live stream, so I apologize. But um, I know there's areas that are more affordable, like the Midwest and the South um, are still experiencing price gains in general versus the West Coast, um, where I live, you're seeing um, pretty big decreases compared to the peak of last year. So and there's also a lot of people who can still work from home. And so um, that coupled with the fact that rates are around 7%, I would imagine that would entice more people to do an all cash offer versus take on a 7% rate if they can. And if they can do that by um, maybe moving to a more affordable area, maybe they're doing that. So I'm, I'm wondering in that report, I'll have to look at it um, at a different date here, but I'm wondering if that report is um, showing a higher percentage of cash sales in more affordable markets versus not. Because I would imagine that you know cash buyers in San Francisco and more expensive areas probably hasn't changed very much. I would be shocked if it actually went up. So mm -hmm. uh, that's my take, but I didn't read well, the article. What do you think? Well, I was going to ask you, what do you, what is the, what is the first time home buyer price in your, like what's the starting price of a home in your specific area? Yeah. In Sacramento County, the median sold price is around $500,000. Okay. So the houses that sold or get listed for sale for under 500,000, that's where you see more offers. So when mm -hmm. I did that analysis, I think it was like, I want to say four offers on average for less than 500,000, but overall it was only two. So houses, you know, over a million dollars were getting like one, maybe two offers versus the more affordable range of less than 500,000, much more competitive market. Yeah. F over 500 here is like a mansion. <laughs> yeah, what's, what's your median full price there? Um, Around 300,000 is okay. the median. Yeah. Yeah, three hundred thousand. But like, if you can find like when you start looking at houses under three hundred, I mean, we we have nice houses, honestly. Even the like, which you would say is like the cheapest house, still has like crown molding and, awesome. um, you know, like uh, you know, nice cabinet, Cypress cabinetry, and people really do their houses up here. I mean, like when we moved here, I was like, I felt like. A <laughs> 
have won the lottery. <laughs> I was like, awesome. holy cow, yeah. you know, like I couldn't believe real wood cabinetry. Wow. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> uh, Lammy has a question. Lammy, Lammy has a question. Given potential long-term inventory issues, I am I better off buying land and building on it later rather than waiting for the house uh, for a house in my price range to pop up in the market, what would you, your advice be for Lammy? Eh, I just did a big ax. You didn't see it, Christina. Um, I did. So I, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, this kind of goes back to like, are you, are you, I assume you're probably not a builder or you're not married to a general contractor. Um, so I just know from like, my personal um, experience in Sacramento, which is obviously could be way different than when what you're looking at, is that the prices for materials as well as the construction, you know, hiring a general contractor are just absolutely insane. It's just so yeah. so expensive, and so uh, land is has is still pretty expensive too. So buying land, getting it entitled, or getting uh, utilities hooked up um, if you have to do that, and then building is just so expensive. I know that. Prices of uh, lumber have gone down, but it's still super high. And also other, um, uh, you know, delays and other things. Like we had to wait for like six months to get our cabinets, you know, five months to get our appliances. Just totally ridiculous. Wow, hundred bucks. That's awesome. Uh, anyways, <laughs> Sonia that. with the hundred dollars <laughs> super chat. Thank you so much. Lost track of time amazing. last week watching the movie Where the Crawdads Sing. You know, nobody in Louisiana calls them crawdads. Go ahead and finish your thought there, Jason. I'm sorry. I was just going to say that like it, it's it, building a home can be super, super expensive, varies mm -hmm. by the area. But I would say if you're looking to buy land and then maybe build later, I would just rather just see you kind of continue to save money to uh, save up for a down payment and then find when you're ready, then you can buy a home if that's what you're looking to do because uh, construction costs are just absolutely insane. The delays associated with it. And in like, and they fluctuate. So like when you, yeah. you could price out your house today and then by the time you get like to the point where you're actually like pouring the concrete for the slab, lumber prices could either jump up or go down. Yeah. Copper wiring goes up and goes down. So your budget for planning out a house is is all over the place. The only way it's it's controlled, and uh, you may want to look into this if you're dead set on buying a piece of land, is if you go with a modular home company because they've already bought those things in advance. They're already in their company. Mm. They're in their warehouse. So they already know, they can give you a more firm estimate of how much it's going to cost because most of the items are already in their facility already. So yeah, I know you don't do a lot of uh, modular, but... Christina does. Christina likes it. I know, it. I know, yeah. <laughs> uh, like the World Economic Forum states, you will own nothing, be happy. The Great Reset are fully underway. So yeah, I have I, I did a video a while back. Have you heard about this? The Great Reset? Have you heard about it? I get I get this comment on my channel like often. Like you, you'll you'll own nothing and be happy. I'm like, I, if I had nothing, I don't know if I'd be happy. But <laughs> I so know the, the, the synopsis theory. of it is the powers that be are basically trying to own everything and then we rent our lives from them you rent a yeah. car with a lease you rent a house from a, uh, a you know rental agreement you know like basically everything you you get in life would you don't own it it doesn't belong to you it's never yours it's always by the powers that be 
That's what they 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 say that the that the design with the World Economic Forum is trying to push people in that direction. Yeah, I mean, I think that they, I mean, honestly, I think that like the uh, in, in, institutional investors uh, really impacted the low level of inventory we have today from like the craziness we had with all the purchases back in 2012 and 13. I mean, in Sacramento, it was just like when I got my real estate license in February, 2012, or was it 13? I can't remember. Um, 13. Um, but 2012, 13, there was this black rock, all these private equity firms buying houses. And I felt so sorry for all the first time home buyers because they're seeing a home that's, you know, a, a average price home in Sacramento, but they're getting like 30 cash offers on the property. And like, how does a first time home buyer compete with that? And they just turn into a long-term rental and you'll probably never see that home being listed for sale again, at least not for a very long time because they just, you know, they're, they have, it's a, an investment for them. So yeah, I think it's a sad state of affairs and it'd be nice to see some limitations on these large purchases of single family houses. I agree. I talk about it all the time that they should have oh, some kind okay. of limitation to how many investment homes could be sold in an area to investors. You know, like yeah. you can't turn a neighborhood no, no more than like 15 to 20% of a neighborhood could be rental units, you know, and they do yeah. that. You can put that in, the, in your HOA and it's very possible. Even if it's an old HOA, you can revise it. So, and then yeah. you file that with a courthouse to do that. Yeah, I see that in HOAs, like for condos, for example, but mm -hmm. like in single family homes in the, in just a regular neighborhood, you don't mm -hmm. you don't see that in general in my area. What's this, Eddie? 10 best uh, real estate markets in 2023. What are the best ones? A, Come listen, on, Louisiana. Come on. <laughs> no, it's it's not going to be Louisiana. <laughs> um, Eddie's going to scroll down to who it is. <laughs> Austin, Texas. The median price for a home is $620,000. That's not, that's not, uh, that's not the median for the United States. Wow. Yeah. I'm surprised by this. Is this a recent article? Because uh -huh. Austin, Texas is one of the areas that has been really, uh, um, yeah, a recent article. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. Uh, because one of the things with Austin, Texas, um, is that they are gaining like a giant surge of inventory, mm -hmm. um, and they actually have more homes for sale, uh, as of the end of April, um, compared to pre pandemic, the, like the average April, 2017, 18, and 19, they have more houses for sale compared to pre-pandemic. The only city that Black Knight looked at that saw had more homes for sale. Anyways. Yeah. So Tampa is uh, 388,000 with 40 days on the market. Uh, home value has increased 4% over the pre-pandemic levels. Raleigh, yeah. North Carolina, the median price is 389,000 with 50 days on the market. It's also at an increase of 4% since the pandemic. Nashville, Tennessee, $429,000. Nashville has gone up a lot. Yeah, it really has. That's the thing with these areas that really were like pandemic boom towns. The price has gone up so much. And so some of the local people live there who don't have these remote jobs are getting priced out. Um, I had um, I had uh, Will Friedner on here and he is in Bozeman, uh, Montana. And it like the people that work in the area, like you know, your waiters, your bus boys, yeah. those kinds of things. They're like coming up with these tiny home solutions where they basically like pave a parking lot and they can they can rent out the little tiny homes so they can work in the, the uh, mm. resort areas. I'm like, wow. <laughs> yeah, I, I just I mean, in Nashville with four hundred twenty nine thousand for uh the median price home surprises me. 26 days on the market and they're 7% over their pre-pandemic levels. 
Ha, yeah. told you, Refrod is out there <laughs> saying, still saying Refraud. dumb stuff. I know. <laughs> I know who he's talking about. <laughs> yeah, all I do too. too. <laughs> They're also like taking in consideration like job growth and uh, a job market, which is um, Austin, Texas has a strong jobs market, obviously. But it's amazing yeah. to see how much prices have gone up there. And it's still number one. Yeah. Nashville is currently named the second largest, strongest, second strongest job market right behind Austin, Texas. There you go. Yeah. That's what always saves these housing markets from plummeting, you know, uh, yeah. Charlotte, North Carolina, 385, 35 days on the market. Um, it's a... Uh, 5% lower than the national average for rooms, outdoor lovers, a beautiful state glory. I love Charlotte. I love North Carolina. It's, I like the weather, but uh, job growth is up 45.2% increase over the last, over the next 10 years. Expected, so they're yeah. expecting more job growth. San Antonio, Texas is at 285. That's still affordable, man. Yeah. For sure. Wow. 285 is awesome. San Antonio yeah, is the currently a buyer's market too. Yep. Yeah, it's like three hundred. It's like a hundred thousand dollars cheaper than the median U.S. national uh, sale price. Mm -hmm. Phoenix, Arizona, four hundred fifty-nine thousand. You know, it's Phoenix is one of those areas, man. Yeah, four hundred fifty-nine thousand. Thirty-five days on the market. Home value over the pandemic increased thirty percent. And you know, they have a lot of home building there. Do you think it's going to come down quite a bit? I, I worry about like the areas that have a lot of home building. And there's also an article that came out. There's mm -hmm. um, looking to build, I don't know if it was outside Phoenix or um, somewhere in Arizona where they, um, a builder wanted to build houses out there, but they said, Hey, if you want to use groundwater, you can't build out here. So that has some more source of water. And so that's going to be a potential issue for some areas in Arizona. Yeah. It says pay scale shows the cost of living in Phoenix is 5% the, below the national average, but your cost of owning a home is like yeah. way high. Right. Jacksonville, Florida, the median price is 289. Wow. Hey, that's not bad either. Yep. And only 5% increase. Mm -hmm. Also has a strong, a strong job growth and employment opportunities continue to steadily increase over month over month. Atlanta, Georgia. 400,000, 41 days in the market. Atlanta's always growing. That's number nine. So they're still saying this. They're, with Atlanta's cost of living just 1% lower than the national average, residents will have plenty of job opportunities in a variety of sectors. This is true. This is true. Orlando, Florida. I used to live there. Right really? Here. Yeah, wow. Orlando, right? Outside of Orlando. With the cost of living 5% lower than the national average, this city continues to rank one of the best places to live in Florida. I will highly disagree. <laughs> From first-hand experience, I will say no. <laughs> What's so bad? I mean, Disneyland's there. I mean, it, it's it should not, be a happy place to live. It's not Disneyland. That's all. Like outside that little park is not Disneyland. <laughs> I would not go back. Just no way. Nope. Christina says no. I would. I would move to the Panhandle though. I like the like the Panhandle, of Florida, like um, around Pensacola and stuff. That's really nice. But um, I lived there in a neighborhood that I didn't even know there were children in it. <laughs> I didn't know my neighbors, never met them, lived there for three years, never met my neighbors. I'd see oh, them right. out at the, you know, getting their mail because the mailboxes are at the end. Never, not once did anybody say hi to me. We would wave and they would all just look down. I'm like, this place sucks. <laughs> <laughs> sucks. Yeah. A question. How do you determine if a new construction development is priced well? Is it based off the neighborhoods alongside it? How do you determine that, Jason? 
Holy cow. This is a really good question. It really is. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's because it's hard because you can like look at comparable sales for the resale market pretty easily. Um, yeah, I don't know. If it's priced well, I would. I always go back to like you know how many days have they has it been listed for sale, right? If it's like if your average house sells in like thirty days but been listed for sale all year and they haven't reduced the price, and obviously they're asking for too much. Um, what makes it really challenging though in the in the new home construction industry is that. You could see on Zillow that this house sold at 2,000 square feet, same square footage as the, the house they have listed for sale. But Zillow doesn't tell you that they just gave like the home buyer $50,000 worth in free upgrades and then like a, a buy down uh, to pay down their rate and also closing cost credit. It just looks like a $500,000 home sale or whatever. So it's hard to compare apples to apples with new home construction versus existing houses. You don't see all these concessions that sellers give buyers, this doesn't really happen. So we have uh, to disclose that. You what? When we close out a listing, we have to fill that all out. Like what were the concessions? Like how much did they give in closing costs? Was there any points? We have to disclose all of that. So when a house closes, you know exactly what they got. It is like in our area too. Cause there's like a small little line you can, like there's a very, very small field where you can put in, Oh, the seller gave $15,000 in closing cost credit. I'm just seeing that the, a home seller can't offer the same incentives that right. a home builder can, right? Right. But I, I I mean, this is how I determine if it's like worth it for a brand new neighborhood. So it, I know I know this area very well. You know, I'm very, uh, you know, in tune to what neighborhoods are selling at what price point because, you know, I've lived here, <laughs> you know, I, I understand the area. So when a new neighborhood comes in and they don't have that crown molding and they don't have the the good cabinetry and they're and they have like vinyl plank flooring instead of wood flooring and all that kind of stuff. And they're trying to sell it at the same price point as the neighborhood next next door. That's a little 10 years older. I'm like, this is a this is never going to sell. Like, why, why would I buy this, you know, this little Cracker Jack, you know, put up house when I could buy the one next door that's much better quality. You know, yeah. they like some home builders have like high hopes because they're like, well, I could sell it for, you know, let's just say $200 per square foot. But you're, you don't have the same amenities as the houses next door that I'm sure they're 10 years older, but why would it, why would I move to your brand new neighborhood just to have a brand new house? Forget that. Your, yeah, yeah. your laminated cabinetry is not cutting it. And the lot sizes can vary quite a bit too. I, I went to a new build in Folsom, California a couple of weeks ago and opened up the drawers of the kitchen and they're like just all flimsy cabinets and you don't, they don't have like the soft clothes. You're like, this is a $700,000 house. I'm looking at everything. Like I always knock on like the kitchen sink and the, and the doors and, they sound hollow and, and thin They're It's probably cheap materials. Yeah. There's like all sorts of, like, the thing is, is we're like, we're so used to certain things that when I, a, an outside mm. home builder comes in, that's like a big, big box brand comes in and starts building their, their cheaper homes. People are like, I ain't buying that. And then they, all of a sudden you'll see big price reduction. And Oh, if you use our lender, we'll take 30%. <laughs> you know, no, no. No, it's we'll called a price adjustment. Yeah. They, they do some adjusting because they no, realize that. Yeah. yeah the other, I was reading this report the other day. It was a uh, core mm-hmm. talking about mm-hmm. like their housing market predictions. And they're like, this is the first time I heard this home prices are going to relax in the second half this year. <laughs> Well, I mean, if you if, if you really think about it, though, 
like last year around Christmas time, they did relax and people are like, oh, this is it. This is it. This is the big collapse. Watch. You're all going to just tumble oh, down. Man. We're all in a fiery mess. And then sure enough, Springer came around and what, what happened? Home prices went up. Yeah. I mean, it's always during that fall season, right when school starts, we, we, we don't sell as many houses. It just is. It naturally happens that way. That's just the way the housing market is. We yeah. didn't have that for two years because it was not natural. Now, there is nothing about those two years. You got to remember, we live in unprecedented times and they were more unprecedented during those few years than they are now. So we're back to we're heading back to a normal. But I just hope that home prices, if they're not going to go down, at least remain flat for a while so people can catch up because incomes are not catching up to home prices. That's for damn sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and then i wish i had more houses for sale too because like it's like it's it seems like the market's really competitive and you see look at the stats like oh home prices are going up so it makes it seem like it's just a repeat of the past few years which is entirely not true because we just have you get one home listed for sale in two weeks in the neighborhood and there's like 10 families looking for a home in that neighborhood well they're going to get multiple offers it's not because like the market's going crazy it's just the fact that we have no such an anemic supply that is really mm -hmm. make it feel like we have a competitive market when in actuality it's really not. I love that anemic supply. That's a good good term. I like it. <laughs> good one, Jason. It says yeah. question: When buying raw land, how uh, how can you figure out the restrictions? Like, can you have rosters for uh, oh roosters, roosters or manufactured home? Okay, so whenever a property is listed, um, and it, this is how it should be is that there is a property disclosure just like there would be for um, for a house. But in a land property disclosure, it will tell you how much is in the timber rights. It will tell you how much um, you'll uh, the property you could use for wetland, like as considered wetlands. They'll give you the road frontage. They'll give you the plat map and any other information that you need. But if you are unsure and you're buying a piece of raw land, they're like, I don't know, my grandpa's grandpa had it. And I don't know anything about that piece of dirt. Go ahead and hire a surveyor. But when you do your contract, say, I need a uh, an inspection period of you know, X amount of days until that surveyor is out there. And that, and then when you find out, like maybe you can't use it for, you know, roosters or anything else, then, then you can actually get out of the contract. Now you'll have to actually pay for that survey and they can be expensive. And then mm -hmm. some cases you can get the seller to pay for that survey, because if you do back out of it, at least that's a piece of information that will help them sell that mm -hmm. piece of land quicker. So sometimes you can split the cost or you can have the sellers pay for it. It's all in the negotiation process. Another way you can look that up is you can go to the county uh, courts, uh, go to the county office and see if there's any filed restrictions on that piece of property. And they'll let you know if, you know, if it's in a, um, it's considered residential. They'll tell you if it's multi-use. They'll tell you if you can have a manufactured home on it. What other, any other restrictions you might have. Um, if, like if it's in the city limits, sometimes they'll say you can't have chickens. And, uh, you know, if you just like walk three steps over to the next lot over, that's no longer the city line. So now you can have chickens. So just there's the ways you can investigate it. But if you have somebody that already has the, that piece of land listed, on it. Don't you do the legwork. That's what the real estate agent's there for. So have called them up and say, Hey, real estate agent, go ahead and find out the stuff about this piece of dirt you have listed. Cause that's part of their job. Yeah. That's part of their job. Excellent advice. Do you guys have um, covenants, conditions and restrictions in Louisiana? Oh yeah. CCNR? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cause that's gonna be one thing they could look at. 
I love your idea of do, getting a survey but that's expensive. Uh, we, mm. we, we were going to do it for my house, but it was like $6,000. It's stupid. Um, they're not that expensive um, here. <laughs> not that expensive. The survey here is not that expensive. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, so yeah, getting a survey was really a good advice and also co- contacting the county, but you also asked for the CCNRs too, which is kind of like the neighborhood rules. Um, they kind of talk about like the, you know, if you can have roosters for Right, but if you have rural track, there is no filed restrictions or CCRs. So there, yeah, there's, yeah. there's no covenants that have been filed because it's considered rural track, but they may still have restrictions, even though, you know, in most cases, when you see rural track, you pretty much can do whatever you want. But if the owners filed restrictions with the courthouse, you need to be able to pull those out because you'll you'll see those at the title office and you'll have to sign off on them. And some of the restrictions are stupid. Like you can't have more than three mules after a Sunday on a Sunday in the front uh, patch or some nonsense like that. That doesn't count. But other things, you know, you just got to look them up. You got to look them up. You're the person to, for that, that uh, question. That's for sure. I have, um, if you haven't looked at, if you just type in Christina Smallhorn and then type in land, I have, uh, I have a land video that has like literally almost everything you could possibly need and some really great resources on, um, you know, looking up information about land before you even get on, uh, and start looking at, uh, plots of land. You can get all that information ahead of time. So you have a a good resource there. So Philip has a question. He says, uh, what's your opinion on ADU, ADU companies like Villa Homes and others? Is it worth the money? Can you build an ADU for less than these than these companies? Now, I know you, ADUs are really big in California. What do you have to say about this, my friend? Super, like in my area, it's super expensive. Um, someone emailed me who's a subscriber of my channel, and I think it said he got quoted almost, it was like three or $400 per square foot Correct. for an ADU. Like mm-hmm. totally insane. Like it, you would spend an arm and a leg to do it and you're not going to get your money back if you sell your home. Um, everyone has like their own, you know, if you need an ADU and you don't want to move, then you can take, you know, sacrifices and stuff. But I would just say in general, super expensive if you want to hire a general contractor to do an ADU. Um, but you'd probably be the person to talk about. Well, I, I'd love to hear your opinion about this as well because you talked about other companies like uh, that make the, them as well. Okay, so... I know that it's expensive in California. You might as well just build another house. What makes it expensive on top of it is the fact that they have a lot of requirements for the ADU. You were literally building a smaller house. That's it. And so, um, I mean, like everything that you could possibly need for your traditional building of a home, that's the same as an ADU. Anywhere outside of California, an ADU is just a smaller home behind your home. And the cost is reduced quite a bit. they can be really great, especially if you're going to want to build uh, some, you know, equity in your home later on, as far as like renting them out. Um, you could, you just have to find what works out best for your specific area. You're going to have to find out how much a pole is because you're going to have a, a new pole because it's, an, it's going to have separate electricity. Can you separate the plumbing? Um, can't like what other things, do, you know, you need to know, like, are you going to be allowed to put that ADU in your backyard? You may not know, again, with the filed restrictions, you may not know that your older neighborhood, even though you live on an acre and a half, does not allow for a separate dwelling unit on your um, property. But some of them don't care. You know, you might have to go to the planning and zoning uh, in your area to see if this is going to be allowed. Um, but yeah, n- normally there, you can find ADU companies 
in, in your area that, that do them at a price. Just make sure that it's not like a tiny home and they're built to some kind of building standards. Like, is this a certified built modular home? Is this a certified built like, what is it built to? What is the the standard that they're building this home to? Because most of the time they don't have any, there's no, there's no uh, law or standards for tiny homes or ADUs. There's like, if you build a manufactured home, there's HUD manufactured standards that it has to meet. With tiny homes and ADUs, there's nothing that's considered standard. So you really have to work closely with the people that are building those. Did you learn something new there, Jason? (laughs) I did. This is not my wheelhouse whatsoever. I definitely, you're the expert in this for sure. I appreciate that. Yep. Uh, Cy Coward 360 says, question, any advice as to things to look for when buying an old house, uh, say built in 1900? Oh, plumbing, lead pipes, (laughs) plumbing plumbing and electrical would be the number one. And then you got to look at that foundation. So those would be the three things that I would look for the most. And like when you're doing that foundation, make sure all the support beams are still together. Like the structural beams that are holding that house together have not been cut at any time during the that home. You know, like have a good inspector look at the, all of those beams, the uh, bracing for the house. So that would be my advice. What's yours? Yeah, I definitely. I mean, 1900, I think of like knob and tube, uh, electrical, um, plumbing might be an issue and foundation could be an issue. So yeah, make sure you're linked up with an agent that has a good, um, inspection team. So if you get your offer accepted and, you know, make sure you get a lot of inspections done because you can uncover a lot of issues, of course. Um, but a, a house built in 1900 obviously has lots of character too. So, uh, but do you do your due diligence? Another tip on that is that, of course, you're going to have your regular like home inspector that does an overall inspection. But if you're very concerned about like anything in the structure, I would have I would I would hire a structural engineer to come over and take a look at that house. If you're really concerned about the um, the foundation on that house, I would have a couple different uh, companies come out and look at the foundation of the house and give it any kind of estimates or if they feel like there's anything wrong with it. And then of course I would hire an electrician to go over there. If you're worried about the wiring, I would worry in the plumber to go over there to talk about the plumbing. And you'd be surprised sometimes when you hire those other people to come out to do the inspection, they'll say, Oh, I know this house. I've been out here seven times working on that <laughs> lighting out there. Boy, they got some tricky lighting. I think they're haunted. You know, <laughs> you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. So yeah. Hire separate inspectors if something comes up. Yeah. Yeah. I've had a, like, <laughs> I have had a, a, someone who bought a brand new home that we got a sewer inspection and then they didn't even bother to hook up the sewer line to the county. That's happened. It's like that, that, you can have issues happened. with a 19 a house that's say 123 years old or a home that's brand new. So definitely get your inspections done. Oh, I've had a new house that my parents bought a house in Atlanta that, that the the uh, roof line wasn't connected. (laughs) Brand new, brand new. Uh, This kid, this kid right here, this kid. Oh, I remember this kid. Yeah. This this last time I was on your. um, Yeah. This kid has a question. Yeah. (laughs) If you don't know, if you're listening on the podcast, that's the screen name is this kid. Are uh, there purchase uh, loans available with repair funding? Are there purchase loans available with repair funding? Yeah. Like uh, what is it? What do they call it? A 203? FHA, 203K. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. to a 3k. Um, yeah. we have that after a hurricane here, those are the, those are a dime a dozen. Everybody gets those loans because what happens is the house gets uh, in bad shape. The homeowners go ahead and get their check and they're like, we're not going to fix this. We're moving out. They sell their house at a discount. And then somebody comes in with their FHA two or three K loan and fixes up the house and has a brand new house. So, yeah. Very yeah, I never, I never um, had a buyer who used one of those before, but um, definitely talk to a loan officer who has experience with that um, because that could be something that you might be able to take advantage of. Oh, somebody brought up something good here right, yeah. real quick. Go ahead. Toxic materials. Yeah. Asbestos and lead paint. Yeah. Yeah. That's that, you know, that's, that's part of it. <laughs> Whenever you're buying those old houses, lead paint and asbestos. That's true. Yeah. Mary has a question. It says, should I sell or rent my lake property in South Carolina to pay for the development of my coastal New York property? What would you do for Mary? What would you say? Um, I, there's like so many things to talk about here, but you know, mm -hmm. do you need the funds from your, do you need the equity out of your house in order to pay for the development of your property? If you don't need it, then that goes to, should I sell or should I rent? And I would look at if you were to rent, um, you can go on to Zillow uh, um, and look at, you know, houses in the area that are for rent. So you can look at advertised rents, but you can't look at like what the rent they actually got, but look for properties that are close to your home, go on to Zillow. You can actually can search for homes for rent, get an idea about approximately how much you can rent your home for, compare that to your monthly housing payment. And if you're going to be you know, having it, are you gonna have a positive return or you be losing $500 a month that would make, give you a little bit more of like some information about whether you should, you know, rent it out or sell it. What do you say, Christina? Meet with your financial advisor. That's what I say. <laughs> Meet with a financial advisor. Cause yeah. like there, there's no way that we know what your financial situation is. And I always tell people, I'm like, well, if you can hold on to a property, if you can hold on to that, that piece of real estate, and not like dip into it, then then hold on to it so that later on down the road that can be you know part of your retirement nest egg. But I don't I don't know your financial situation. The only way that you, you can do that is with an accountant to go over what your goals are. So that's what I always say. <laughs> Excellent advice. I mean, you definitely yeah. should talk to a financial advisor for sure. Um, yeah, good advice, Christina. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. My advice is better. <laughs> CYA. <laughs> uh, lawnmower, my commonologist on here, lawnmower says uh, in Louisiana, crawdads are have proper names, usually the names of cousins that you haven't seen in the at least five years. Well, I, I will say that everybody knows everybody by their last name here in Louisiana, and nobody in Louisiana calls ca crawfish crawdads. The, you're from another state. If you said crawdads, they'd be like, what? Oh, it's crawfish? <laughs> it's crawfish. Oh, okay. We call them crawdads. South Louisiana, they're craw crawfish. Yeah. yeah. South Louisiana. Uh, blue five star says, uh, there are two houses right next to each other in my neighborhood that look abandoned and uh, breaking down, but they're owned by the same person and company. Is it difficult to buy one off of them? Sometimes they'll have them on the books. Like they don't even know that they have them because they have so many properties. Um, yeah, you can always reach out to them, send them a letter, uh, certified letters, just to see if they have it, call the company and see if they're willing to sell them. Sometimes those companies are in some kind of bankruptcy and they're filing uh, like bankruptcy at the same time as trying to do something with the property. So they sit there and they, they collect dust until a bank takes them over and does what they want with them. What do you have to say, Jason? 
Yeah, if you can find out a way to you know, who the owner is by looking at tax records, because it could be a company, it could be an individual, maybe the address is different than the property address. So you might be able to send a letter to the the uh, letter for, uh, sorry, the address for the per the tax records. So you mm -hmm. can send a couple of different letters that way. Um, that's would be my advice. Yeah, go to the tax assessor's office and get that. Yeah, yep. there you go. Mary, Mary has on, another on fire. Man, Mary is on fire, man. Check <laughs> her out. It says, question, when established, I established several tiny homes in North Carolina parcels zoned multifamily. Could I get different addresses without subdividing my property if I plan to lease the tiny homes? That would be depend on the law in North mm. Carolina. I don't know. So in our area, um, we were able to get a separate address for the small home behind the house, but it doesn't, it's all the same parcel number. So we, we couldn't subdivide the property. It just was one property, but you're going to have to find that out. Like if, if you have established uh, different um, electricity and different plumbing to each one of the houses, they may allow you to do that. But in some cases, they're not going to allow you to do that because they don't want you to subdivide a multi-use property. They want you to sell it as one, uh, one, one plat, one, one plat itself. So just gonna have to check with your local officials. Get friendly with the planning and zoning. Bring them donuts. I promise you. Yeah. yeah. Eddie just had to walk in there and smile with his pearly whites, and you're like, "Oh, what can we do for you, sir?" M H O eight says, "In the Midwest, we call them crayfish." Oh crayfish. no, crayfish. No, 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 no. It's crawdads, no. right? No, it's crawfish. Crawfish. Crawdads. Crawdads. Haha, <laughs> <laughs> boomers rambling about crawfish on real estate channel. Yeah, yep. We're not. I'm not a boomer. You're not a boomer, are you? You're Man, Gen X. I'm, I'm, I might look like a boomer, but I'm not a boomer. <laughs> You're a millennial, aren't you? No way. I'm 47. Oh, oh. I'm old. I thought you were. Uh... This is not. This is not blonde hair here. Yeah, I'm Gen X. I'm Gen. I don't X. even know what generation I am. I, I'm. I'm no idea. You're, you're Gen X. Okay. All right. <laughs> you're the you. last of the Gen X. You're the last of them. <laughs> yeah. Gen X. We're not boomers. Our parents are the boomers. <laughs> true. That is true. Yeah, my parents are the boomers. Uh, Lamar says, do uh, tiny homes on wheels um, fall under the HUD requirements? Depends. So if you look at park model, hmm. um, park model uh, tiny homes, they actually fall under RV specifications. Um, they, they're built to RV standards. Um, some tiny homes uh, are built to HUD standards. And sometimes they're still called park models, but they have the HUD certification on them. Um, so it depends. Now, if they're on wheels and they're traveling down the road, most likely they're built to RV specifications if they're built to any specifications at all. If you happen to buy a tiny home that has not been built to at least RV specifications, you're not going to be able to park it in um, designated RV uh, parking areas. Like if you wanted to go to Yellowstone or whatever, you know, like you couldn't, you couldn't do that without having that certification that says that it's an RV. Just FYI. FYI. Good question. I though. so much by being on this channel. I really do. <laughs> well, okay. about this stuff. Yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> oh, you will rock it in real TV. I didn't. Did you hear that? I don't know if you heard that. I'm gonna. No, I had so much technical difficulties. I think I missed the beginning of that. What you what you mentioned. 
Yeah. So News Nation, which is like a cable news station that's like not it's not, you know, right leaning or left leaning. They just kind of report the news. They reached out to me on Friday and asked if they could do a, an affordable housing segment and if I'd be interested on in being on their live show. That's on nice. television. I was like, oh, wow, that's cool. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I was that's really excited. Awesome. I got all dressed up, all dolled up, got my makeup all perfect, got my hair all done, had it all sprayed, went and sat down. They're like, hey, yeah, we've had some breaking news. There was some like, you know, indictment that we had to like cover and everything. I was like, oh, you know, they're like, yeah, oh, it's no. all over. We're going to, we can't really like do that. We'll, we'll get back to you on Monday. So hopefully fingers crossed that I'll be on the big time screen. That'd you be know? super cool. That'd be really <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I'm excited. Congratulations. That's amazing. I know. I don't like on real TV. <laughs> <laughs> really cool. I'll, I'll send you my autograph. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I had a kind of similar experience. I had um, uh, Fox News in New York reach out to me and, and talk mm -hmm. about like when Redfin um, uh, discussed like the fact that prices decreased the first time compared to mm -hmm. one year ago. And I did this interview, which is Zoom, which I didn't know the interview started yet. And then I mm -hmm. uh, reached out after them. They never responded. So it never got aired or anything. So I did this interview, but it never made it to the TVs or whatever. It's kind of funny. Well, this is like live, live. Like, oh, it's live, live. Okay, that's live, totally live. Like, so I better not sneeze or pick my nose or do anything stupid. <laughs> you know, hopefully I will not eat beans that day, you know? <laughs> uh, question. Are, are you going to post in your community tab when that happens? Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad okay, I didn't cool. post it. I'm glad I did not post it on that day because they ended up canceling on me. So I didn't look like I was a liar. So cool. <laughs> Let me know. I would love to see that. Okay. It says, um, um, Miss Melanated says, question, I inherited some land. It's going to cost around 20 to 25,000 to prepare the land. I want to buy a manufactured home. Is there a way to get a mortgage? Yes, you can. So I would go and talk to a local lender in your area so you could, uh, roll in the land improvements and the manufactured home together. They would do some kind of like new construction loan that will allow you to do that, where, where you would have the well, the um, the electrical pole that goes out there. You could put the driveway, everything that you would need, as long as it's within the parameters to what the value would be in the area once it's completed. They'll be able to assess that. Did you know that, Jason? I did not know that either. No <laughs> outside my wheelhouse, I'm, I'm outside my wheel completely. So then, are you? Um, is that loan fixed, or do you have to refi once it's all done? Or how does that all work? It's like a new construction loan. It works just okay. the same. It's similar to that. You know, like you have your new, like you have that construction period time, and then you know how, like once that closes, then you're going to have to roll it into a 30-year fixed rate mortgage, Got which actually works out better because I don't know if you know if you do your your manufactured home separate from your land loan, so then you have two mortgages, right? Mm -hmm. So some people like to do that because if they default on the house, all they can do is take the house, but they can't take the land from you. But most people want to have a nice low payment because if you do it separate the mortgage for a manufactured home is called a chattel loan and it has it's a higher interest rate and it's over for, for a shorter period of time so, mm -hmm. so just something something to know yeah, yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> just schooling me jason <laughs> i learned so much from you christina <laughs> Um, did you know that many people working in tech had two to or three job full jobs because they worked remotely maybe that explains why so many people have so much cash oh there's so many reasons why people have cash i just it before the pandemic i was unaware 
of how many people were sitting on a pile of cash. And then there was a, you can ask anybody that lives in some of these markets that have exploded. Almost all of them are coming from California or Northern states where real estate is a lot more expensive than the area that they're moving to. So if you lived in like, uh, like around New York or New Jersey and you're moving to Tennessee and you see their $444,000 house that they're selling, that's like a mansion to them. You know, like if you go around Boston and New England and you see these little houses that were built in 1675 and you sold it and then you move to this and you're like, I just got 2000 square feet for the same price I sold my house in New England for, you know, um, that we had a lot of that. There was a lot of, uh, redistribution of people that bought with cash. Um, but everybody always loves to slam California. Like nobody wants to move to California. It's a pit and they're all moving away. They're going to Texas and ruining our state. That's what they always say. <laughs> For years now. For years. Yep. Yeah. The great exodus. I heard about this in uh, 2018, you know, the great California exodus. Everybody's leaving California. <laughs> But home prices still increase, you know, yeah. everybody's leaving, but home prices are still going up. Yeah. How, I don't know how that works. Yeah. I don't know. We definitely know. a lot of people migration out, but I mean, I, I see like I'm in Sacramento, which is like 500,000. The Bay area is like average, like one to $1.5 million. And people are renting their tiny little apartments and they're buying houses in Sacramento to get so much cheaper. A lot, especially a lot of millennials getting married, want to have kids and such rather than living in one bedroom apartment. My husband, I think my daughter wants to get married, but she doesn't want to have children. <laughs> I think that's what she said. I, the idea of getting married sounds good, but I don't know about that, that kid thing. It sounds very, very, very expensive. I'm like, you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah, right. I had brown hair too a few years ago before I had kids too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Having kids is great, but man, it's, it's definitely challenging, right? Yeah. My husband, when every time we had a, uh, like every time I had a baby, he would get another eye bag. So he has two pieces of luggage under his eyes. <laughs> it happened the instant the baby was born. I was like, Oh, you look tired. And that tiredness never went away. Poor That's guy. Funny. He's still good looking though. Yeah, uh, uh, Bruce has a question. It says looking to purchase some rural land, but there's a lot of BLM land in random places close to the end, close to the land. Could that be a bad Bureau thing? Of land Bureau of land management? I think. Oh, Maybe. Well, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I can't answer that. I don't know if that would be a problem or not. So, so Eddie is going to pull it up. Oh, look at you, Eddie. Yeah. He's a rock star, man. He's a rock star. Yeah. yeah. Eddie's on top of it. Well, so their mission is to uh, sustain health and diversity uh, product, product productivity of public lands for use of enjoyment and present uh, present for future generations. So yeah, well that if they're going to preserve the land around you, that would be like a that would be like a gem. Yeah. yeah. They're not going to build around you and you get to enjoy all the woods and stuff. Oh, sign me up. <laughs> yeah, I I would be all over that. If I found a piece of dirt that's all surrounded by that, I'd be like, "Thank you." Yeah. <laughs> In contrast, if you have a house you're interested in, but there's like a lot of land behind it, but you don't know who the owner is or it's owned by a builder or something like good luck with that. I knew that like, as soon as I read that acronym, I knew people were going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it instantaneously. It was going to cause a visceral <laughs> reaction. <laughs> I learned something new today. Thank you. Mary, Mary man. Coming in hot. Go. 
Mary, Mary, why are you bugging? That's a song, by the way. It's an MY uh, question again. Yeah. I'm um, um, compelled to disclose that someone died in my house. Oh, am I compelled to disclose if someone died in my house? My old roommate died in her room. Is that a thing? Thanks for either answering to sound my rent out question. I think I should rent it. Okay. So in the state of Louisiana, you are not required to disclose if someone was died in the house, if if they were murdered in the house, if there was a mass murder in the house, you would not be required to because it does not pertain to the structure of the house. The structure of the house has not been, uh, you know, like, it's not going to fall apart because someone was murdered in it. But in other states like California, what? Yeah, I think to- it's a three-year statute, I believe. Like it, You have mm-hmm. to disclose it, I believe. I think it's three years. Yep, yep. yep. And then like people in in uh, South Louisiana, like near New Orleans, they, they try their darndest to get onto the haunted registry and let people know like someone died here because they want that tour bus to go past their house (laughs) they want to collect money and they're going to do a tour of their house because they have a haunting you know they have to certify that their house is truly haunted (laughs) wow i have not heard that before yeah. Yeah. Hey, Jason, did you know that um, I'm on like this recording will now be as available as a podcast? You can actually you can download this podcast through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all anywhere you can think of to get your uh, podcast needs. All you have to do so is. So cool. Yep. Real Estate for Everyone with Christina Smallhorn. Yep. Uh, it's on all the, yeah, it's very fun. Yep. And it, and it's been really nice. And if you need a real estate agent, just like Jason Walter, and I do reach out to him, if I do have somebody in his area occasionally, <laughs> uh, you all you have to do is go to my website, just go ahead and hit one of the pink buttons. If you're looking to get a re- real estate referral, hit the referral button and um, fill out all the information there. And please put your phone number so I can give you a call. We could talk about your real estate needs. And I can even connect you to someone as cool as Jason Walter right there. Right, Jason? And and chances are probably way cooler. (laughs) Way cooler than Jason? Uh, For sure, yeah. That's pretty cool. I mean, someone can like put in their their contact information, actually talk to you on the phone about their real estate. It's pretty good. Absolutely. If they, if they leave their phone number, I will contact them. Um, If they're just asking me a question though, I just, I'll answer them in in an email. Yeah. Um, So that's why I like before kids. (laughs) 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 Look at Jason, man. Look at all dapper in his suit. That was before you had children, I bet. Now this is like literally like a photo. I, I, the, the common like real estate um, picture you took like 10 years ago, whatever. Oh, okay. <laughs> now this is like, I don't know how long ago. It wasn't 10 years ago, but you know, I need some new, new photos to say least, especially since I had this beard for about a year now. Yeah. That doesn't look like you anymore. You look like a fresh ba- face baby right there. <laughs> there's, there's Jason with all of his content. You put out videos how many times a week? Uh, usually about six or seven. Gee whiz. Yeah. Oh, I usually post yeah. a video a day ish. I think I did like 375 videos last year. Well, uh, apparently Jason's trying to w- hit the world record of videos about real estate. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll call Guinness this week. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Make sure you get your award. Yeah. Pretty so, funny. anyways, yeah, the, go over to Jason. You want to get the real estate news as it's happening? Go right over there. It's, go say hi to Jason. Make sure you Thank hit that. You subscribe button and the all so you get all of his stuff all his good stuff there you go. good, good good stuff out there i appreciate you jason i appreciate you coming out here i hope you had fun 
I had a ton of fun. I always talk. I love being on your channel. I've, we've done this one several times. It's been months since we've done it. And um, I'm not from lack of trying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. I know. I, I talked to my wife and said, okay, I knew I want to get on her channel again. When can we make this happen? So we finally made it happen. So I'm honored to be on your channel again. Thanks again. Oh, I appreciate you finally coming out here. I thought I did something wrong and I wasn't on your special buddy <laughs> list anymore. You're like, no, I'm not going over there. She's a weirdo. Not at all. <laughs> not true. at all. I would do this yeah, every weekend if I could. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, you already got a new subscriber. Juicy. Look at your juicy fruit. Thank you so much. All right, everybody. I want to say thank you to the uh, moderators for keeping the chat clean. I appreciate every single one of you. I want to say thank you to our super chatter today with the $100 super chat. That was yeah. really nice as well. If you haven't yet, make sure that you hit that like button on the way out. I appreciate everybody giving the little uh, hearts on the on the live stream. That always helps the, get the live stream sent out to more people. If, if you're watching this on the replay and you want to listen to it in your car, make sure you jump over to the podcast and give that a five-star review. The more five-star reviews on my podcast, the more it grows. So I appreciate every single one of you. And you have a fantastic week. Bye. 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 So long. Farewell. Just think goodbye. <laughs> oh, look, he's keeping it chill. He's like doing a little like West Coast chill right here. Look at that. <laughs> West Coast chill, yeah, right. Yeah, it's like West Coast chill, right? Uh, <laughs> feel like National like button. Yeah. Enjoy the rest I, of your I just, Sunday. I can hear uh, iced tea. Like, you're not iced tea. I'm wrong person. But wrong person, not iced tea. <laughs> ice cube. Ice cube. Ice cube. On the East Coast. Wrong. Come for real estate. <laughs> Stay for right there. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> the too right there. <laughs> 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 And he's having trouble ending the